everyone, it's Tom Panos here from News Limited. I'm really excited. Jason, Andrew, I love this guy because uh, he's an auctioneer, because he believes in attraction brand strategies, and he's out there doing it every weekend and weeknights. Uh, Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me, Tom. Mate, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, for the people watching this video, can I have the short 60-second version of who Jason Andrew is and your company? 60 seconds is hard for those of us who talk for a living, but yeah. anyway, I'll see what I can do. But uh, our business runs uh, about 2,500 auctions each year, which is equivalent to 18% of the auctions with inside our core trade area. Uh, recently, our business has expanded to call auctions nationally. We now call auctions in Western Australia. Uh, we call auctions in Victoria as well, which we're very excited about. Uh, and we see what works and what doesn't work, and I think that's the exciting part of our business. Uh, as you know, it's not just about telling people what the great people do, but it's also learning from what the others the, the poor people don't do as well, as well. Okay, Jason, so in terms of numbers, how many auctioneers all up is there? I have five auctioneers at the moment. Yeah. Uh, a couple in a holding pattern at the moment. Yeah. So sort of of that belief, slow to hire, sort of quick to fire. So we yeah. have a few people in the holding pattern. I love that line. Slow to hire, quick to fire. Love it. And hire for attitude, train for skill. That's like it. that one too. Uh, Jason, you do heaps yourself. How many do you do? Uh, I've called as many as 1,200 in a year. Uh, I've now taken a little bit of a backward step. I'm now, uh, I'll call 600 auctions this year. Right, okay. I want to ask you, as an auctioneer, you rock up there. It's good times, by the you know, at the moment. Um, but you rock up there. You talk to the agent. What's, just before you're meeting the agent, um, or about to start an auction, what are the things that you're looking to have the agent tell you about the property, the reserve? Obviously, you want to know the reserve, but what are the things? What does Jason Andrew want from an agent? I think there are three really important things that I need to know. Legally, I need to have a reserve to conduct the auction, but I think the reserve is quite possibly the most overestimated thing. Right. I, I don't necessarily think that that's as important as what people people put the attention on it for people will gauge their strategy based around the reserve and I think that is without question one of the worst things that you can do so there are a couple of follow-up things that I want first and foremost have you had any offers where have those offers been and then are those people here so based on the feedback that we've received prior to I will then put into place some further numbers. Those numbers are what I call my KO number and my R2 number, which are my kickoff level yeah. and my run to level. And I will talk to the agent about those. Yeah. And I'll also talk to the vendor about that. So I'll say, worst case scenario, if we don't receive an opening offer, we will start it here. Yeah. If we have to, we will place a vendor bid to here. Yeah. And anywhere beyond that, it's decision time. Okay, I love that. Um, I'm just going to take some of those terms you used, um, the KO and RT. R2. R2. Uh, kickoff, which is um, at what price we might be putting a vendor bid if we don't get a start. Yep. And the R2 is? Is the highest level of feedback, so it will just be under that. Yep. So if the highest level of feedback's been $500,000, 
you shouldn't make a vendor bid beyond that. So it might be four ninety. So right. let's look at the three numbers. The reserve could be five fifty. Yeah. The feedbacks being five hundred. Yeah. The kickoff number, based on the level of registrations, is about four fifty. Okay. Right. So as a rough rule, it's ten percent below the feedback. Yeah. To try to actively engage people. So what I will do is I will place, if I absolutely must, a vendor bid just below the feedback level yeah. and I will have a very good conversation with the owners and with the agents saying anywhere beyond the 490, yeah. it's live, it's from the market and wherever it stops, yeah. it's decision time for you. And that's that's that beautiful conversation that needs to be had because that level between feedback and the reserve, yeah. I mean, in certain markets at the moment we're exceeding reserves. Yeah. But where we fall into that level of uncertainty, the vendor needs to know, hey, this is an unconditional contract. Yeah. It's $25,000, $30,000 above the feedback. Yeah. I need to seriously be addressing this. Okay. So um, I just want to be clear to the, the viewers, because of the different states around the country and different legislation, some areas you can actually exercise more than one more vendor. More than one vendor. Bit. So in New South Wales, you can place one vendor bid. Yeah. Melbourne uh, or Victoria, Queensland, you can place multiple, uh, as a matter of fact, as many as you want, so long yeah. as it's not above the reserve. South Australia is three, Western Australia is ten. Right. Okay. Very, very useful information. Um, you've actually said that the reserve, in your mind, is something that uh, we uh, overestimate as being importance in the whole process and the transaction on the day. Um, do you, in, in terms of reserve, do you think that do you give any guidance to our agents that are watching it? Should they be setting it? Um, at what level when they're talking to their vendors? It's, it's an excellent question, Tom. And again, I think this is something that I see being done wrong all the time or incorrectly all the time. I think the language change that we need to make here is we don't call it a reserve set because when we call it a reserve set, the vendor feels challenged on their price. And a vendor with their back up just before the beginning of an auction is not a good thing. So I don't call it a reserve set. We just change the language to what we call a strategy set. And all the strategy set is, is Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, where you set your reserve is entirely your decision. The feedback has been here though. So our auctioneer will place bids if it must to that feedback level Anywhere beyond that feedback level, it's your decision to make. So there's a wonderful graph that I draw on the back of our reserve forms, which is what we call our BSA graph. Right. So and what's that? Well, the BSA graph looks like this. I say to my vendors, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, what's your reserve? And they'll say $550,000. And we say, great. Anywhere from your reserve to infinity, the person who controls that process is the buyer. It's in complete contradiction to the feedback, but they just go nuts. Yeah. We'll call Michael Caton around, hot auctions, we'll have a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Anywhere from zero to four fifty, which is the feedback level, or five hundred, which is the feedback level, the person who controls that is our auctioneer. Right. So he could be placing vendor bids, fully disclosed, of course, between that level. But anywhere in the middle the person who controls that process is you as the seller. So as it goes down the page, it's B, S, A, buyer, auctioneer, seller. So what we do in the reserve set meeting, Tom, is we call it a strategy set and we explain to them very clearly who is the person who controls the power at what time through the auction. And generally as a rule, when we land in that level of uncertainty in between, 
the seller knows we're coming to them and they have a quick decision to make. And when we have it that way, rather than the seller moving off their reserve, they're actually moving up off the feedback because the meeting has been concentrated on the feedback rather than being concentrated on their reserve, which generally yields a positive result instead of a negative result of the reserve. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I can't help it. As, as someone that um, is involved in doing auctions on Saturday, the way that you have articulated the fact that each stakeholder has a role at various degrees of the price. Um, the B... S-A, love it. I just want to go over it again because I think it's gold. You know, the buyer, after the number that we know the owner's going to accept, um, it's a free reign. Yeah. It's like the poker machine is just having, it's free spins. It keeps Anywhere going. Anywhere from there to infinity. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then you've got the thing that the owner has got control of, which is the S, the seller bit, uh, which is an important part. It's a crucial conversation because what you're saying is that is something that that vendor on the day has got control over. And then your, the A is the auctioneer, and that is from zero to the... To the highest level of feedback. So right. these are the levels that, that the people have control, but Mr and Mrs Seller, if we land here on auction day, you have to know that I'll be coming to you for a decision. So what we do is we have a reserve form, and you would have seen this reserve form on copious amounts of occasions, Tom, but the reserve form has two lines on it. Right. It has a reserve, yeah. and then underneath that is what is known as the second reserve, or it's right. known as the refer to number. Yeah. But unfortunately, the way that we use that document is as a second reserve of the reserve price. It looks like this. Tom, what's your reserve? 550. So if we get to 540, would you accept it? The vendor goes, well, I wouldn't miss it for 10,000 bucks. We go, great, let me just write this number in here, 540. And we walk out trying to high-five the shrubbery, going, I just got a $10,000 price reduction. How good am I? But what we do with that second line on the reserve form is we write in the highest level of feedback. Right. That's where we spend most of the strategy set meeting, not reserve set meeting. That's where we spend most of the strategy set meeting. And then we draw the graph right. explaining the levels of control on auction day. So the vendor knows and goes in fully aware. But more importantly, if a vendor moves off their reserve on auction day, as in moves down, it's a negative experience. But if they move up off the feedback, it's yeah. a positive experience. So let me give you two examples. We get to 525 on auction day. Yeah. 550 is the reserve. Yeah. That's $25,000 short. Yeah. So from a human psychology perspective, a seller is moving down to accept the 525. Yeah. But with the way that I train agents around reserve sets, the concentration has been on 500, yeah. which has been the feedback. Now, 525 is the same number, but we're $25,000 above the feedback. Got so you. which vendor is more likely to accept the 525? Is it the vendor who's coming down off the reserve, or is it the vendor who's coming up? The person that the was thinking the 500. Now, Jason, can I ask you, that's absolute gold. Uh, can I ask you the... Uh, that reserve set meeting or strategy set meeting, when is it held? Now, again, excellent question. I think it needs to be held as soon as what we possibly can. So I'm sort of okay with anywhere seven days in advance. Right. What I find, and I'm sure you're the same, is we'll turn up on auction day and the agent will be doing the reserve. Yeah. I remember an auction once where 
the agent said, Tom, this is going to be excellent. I can't wait for this auction. It's going to be unbelievable. Can you just go set my reserve for me? I went over to the to the vendor. This is about 10 minutes before the auction, and the agent came over with me and said, and so I said, what's the reserve? And the vendor said, oh, $27 million. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the agent just said, what? Now, the vendor went back up to their ludicrous price, but the, the real training out of this was... We only had 10 minutes to remedy that situation. Yeah. Whereas if we had have had that reserve set meeting on the Monday, on the Tuesday, or on the Wednesday, yeah. we have four or five days to remedy that situation, if that makes sense. So I'm an earlier the better. Yeah. No harm in doing that. If the vendor is priced right, the agent's energy around the stock is high. Yeah. If the vendor is overpriced, yeah. we know that we still have work to do. Okay. So Jason... I just want to recap that um, reserve letter will have a reserve figure and it'll have the second figure, which is we will refer this number to you. That number should go in there, should be um, the feedback level number. Um, Jason, would it be good uh, if I got on a link on this blog, uh, an example of your, you know, reserve letter? Yeah, easy. Okay, much appreciated. Okay, want to ask you... um, we talked about the vendor bid, starting bid, uh, placing it. Depends on which state you can use multiple. Um, the famous question, Mr. Auctioneer, is it on the market? Yeah. Okay. What's the Jason Andrew way of thinking about this, I, and managing it? I think that the 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 person who was asked the question wants closure to their question. Right. So the best way that I can answer that question is a very simple yes or no. Right. And in 99% of the occasions, it will be no. Because in all of the legislation that I am aware of in the country, and I hold licences in multiple states, the property is subject to a reserve price and the seller's final approval. So be we above reserve or be we below reserve, the seller still has the right in accordance with that legislation. To say I'm not selling. To say I'm not selling. Yeah. So even if we're above reserve and someone asks if we're on the market, the answer is still no because I, I haven't clarified what my owner's answer to that is. So if we are miles beyond reserve and we're still cooking with gas and someone asks are we on the market, I might put it on the market there because momentum is the key to achieve a premium price. Right. But in So my- that's if you're, if you're over the selling figure. You might actually just say to them, the answer is yes. 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 You know, but but we've got to strategically choose that. I mean, right. um, in most of the occasions, and I'm talking about 90-odd percent of it's the not occasions, a, it's not. my answer will be no. Right. Uh, sir, I appreciate your question. Uh, I, I understand that what you are looking for is closure, and so I will, I will say no. Yeah. The property is subject to a reserve price and my owner's approval. May I say we are at the pointy end of this auction. Now, the reason why I handle the consumer or the bidder that way is because... Again, they're looking for an answer. They aren't looking for a smart Alec retort. Yeah. Because with all due offence to the auctioneers who do that, yeah. I can be a smart Alec too. Right. I can crack them over the head and say, well, we've been on the market for four weeks. Yeah. I can say all of that type of stuff. I know those lines as well. 
but I understand that human behaviour is give me an answer. And if I give them a very simple yes or a very simple no, I will keep them on side. And with my inclusive behaviour, they are more likely to participate. By them participating, I'm more likely to get my vendor premium money. Okay, so with that in mind, do you then, do you always announce properties on the market? Uh, depending on the geographical location, uh, if I'm calling an auction here, uh, the answer would be no. Yeah, yeah, the answer would be no. Uh, but uh, in my area, which is Queensland, uh, our area is quite juvenile to the auction system, and I mean that with all due offence. Um, we still have a long way to go. Um, so. What I'm, I, I do with Inside Queensland is I make it very clear because parties are waiting for that. But where I know I'm dealing with a quality agent, yeah. I won't use the words we're on the market because quality agents will have what is known as bidder strategy meetings. Right. And those bidder strategy meetings, conversations will be had like, do you know that there is no legislation in the country that suggests that you must use the language we're on the market? So when those conversations are had, it's so much easier to not use the words we're on the market. Okay, so I just want to recap on Jason's last point. Bitter strategy meetings, trust between agent and buyer, education between agent and buyer, letting them know, here's the legislation, um, there's a good chance that the auctioneer won't use that terminology. So you're basically educating that buyer that if their strategy was to hold back, that it might not be a good strategy on the day. Yeah, it's, a, it's something that is, again, highly underrated. We have the reserve set meeting, which I call a strategy set meeting, but we don't have bitter strategy meetings. We sort of go, hey, Tom, here's this amphitheatre for negotiation which is designed to psych you out yeah. and which is highly nerve-wracking. Go nuts. And I, when I have a, a room full of 200, 500 agents, I'll ask them, how many vendor bids are you allowed in the state of New South Wales, in the state of Victoria, in the state of Queensland? And I'll try and trick them. I'll say, by the way, the legislation may have just changed. And in a room full of real estate agents, regardless of the state, I get varying answers. One, none, three, ten. So... If real estate agents don't know how many vendor bids we can make, how are we expected for our punters to know? Right. I then ask the agents the, the, the question that you just asked me. Explain a vendor bid to me. Yeah. They can't give me an answer. Yeah. So how do we expect for these people to willingly participate in this environment? Okay. You have called thousands of auctions. You've got a great helicopter view of the auction world. I want to ask you, what's the biggest mistake you see an agent do on auction day? I think they, they spend the wrong time with the wrong people. So, so let me explain what I mean by that. On auction day, we need to understand who we're there for. And it changes throughout the course of the auction. One of the things that, that I see agents do on auction day is when the auctioneer is introducing them, the agent might be right down the back with what I call cro concrete shoes, right. and sort of like stuck down, right, or the right. old Velcro back, which is sort of stuck to a wall and I'm not getting off it. So on auction day, I want the agent to be in certain places at certain times. As I'm introducing you, or, or as you're introducing them, 
I want the agent up the front, understanding that auction day is what I call ULP, and the ULP is the ultimate listing presentation. There are vendors there, or potential vendors, who are there auditioning you. They don't want to see you down the back. So during the property description, introduction, all of that type of stuff, be at the front. Showcase your business. Whether you have 100 registered bidders or you have none, stand up the front with pride. When the auctioneer calls for an opening bid, you have no place up the front anymore with them. Go out to your people and talk to them. Talk to the, the who I call the protagonists. Right, the what's pe- that mean? The people who are the main players. Right. Okay, so a uh, protagonist is the, the, the main player in a, uh, in a musical or in yeah. a, a theatre production. So head to the main players. Right. All right, and then try and get opening offers out of them. And away we go. Now, if you run your strategy meeting the way that I've just said before, which is the B, the S, and the A, when we get to the feedback level, yeah. don't be with your bidders anymore. Be with your seller. Head inside to your seller and say, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, my question to you now is, how close to this number will you accept? Now, the auction's still going, but the vendor needs to be inside talking to their owners saying, we are now contradicting the feedback that we've received so far. Where do you want to be? How close to this number will you accept? And if the auction has to pause, one of the things that I see quite regularly is the agent will try to work the underbidder. Right. The underbidder has had the chance to go. Right. So so looks like this. First, second, third, are you in or out, sir? All done, all finished? No, well, we're going to pause the auction and just seek our owner's instructions. Well, that person had three chances as the underbidder to usurp the highest offer. So why would we pause the auction and work the underbidder? We've got to work the highest bidder to try and meet the owner's expectations. So it's about the agent being in the right place on auction day at the right time. Okay, so let's recap. At the start, it's the ultimate listing presentation, or as you called it, ULP, so you are there auditioning for prospective vendors. Auction starts, you start working your people, your buyers, you get to the feedback level. Once we are going near that feedback level or just sort of approaching it it, or rounding it, you are then going into your sellers and you are your vendors. Your vendors, yeah. And you are saying to them, "How close are we? To the, how close to this number will you accept? How close to this number will you accept?" So remember the line I said before, Tom was, "It's decision time." Yeah. So that's the line you need to say with your vendors on auction day, Mister and Missus Vendor. In our strategy meeting, I said to you, "I would come to you anywhere in this seller quadrant. We are now there." We're in that seller zone where we're contradicting the feedback. I need to know how close to this offer will you accept. Well, it's still going. I understand that, Tom, but if the auction pauses, I don't want to be with you. I need to be with the buyer because the more time the buyer has to think, the less chance I have of getting more. So if we pause, I want to spend all the time with the buyer, not with you. 
So you're sort of shortcutting the process at this stage, and it works exceptionally well. So if the auction pauses because we're still short of expectations, we can now go to our buyer, but we've still moved our owner's expectations a little bit, which saves us about two or three minutes of time, and we could spend that picking the buyer up and shaking them out for more. Okay, so to me, the key thing, and I want to recap it, I think you've articulated exceptionally that if an auctioneer has called for three times, fear of loss has already come in there, this buyer has had that opportunity. Having an agent using verbal barrage is not going to make a significant difference at that point. You know, be at the right spot at the right time and you make a very good point. Talk to your sellers saying, what we don't, we got to start making that decision time. There's a correlation between the strategy meeting that you've had and the conversation that you're having there. There's all linear logic there. And you're saying, we don't want to get stuck with too much of a pause because that's going to take the energy out of the whole process. And the momentum, absolutely. And the momentum. Okay. want to ask you about auctioneers. Um, top three qualities of a good auctioneer. Um, you hire you hire many. You, I'm sure that you would have people that come to you and say, "I emceed at my brother's wedding. I smashed it. You know, I want to be an auctioneer." Um, and some of them do okay, um, and some of them don't. Um, and I've always said, you know, one of the issues with auctioneers, Jason, everyone wants to be an auctioneer, but no one wants to chase the auctions. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. But what, what, in terms of an auctioneer, what are the top three qualities of a of a, of a good auctioneer? Um, I think the, the thing that I learned at a very early age, um, I know I'm still young, but I started auctioneering when I was 18. Right. I'm now in my late 20s. So um, <laughs> someone once said to me, you are an auctioneer. You are not a rock star. You add up numbers. And I think auctioneers get that wrong all the time. We turn up in our European motor car, yeah. generally a convertible. Yeah. We sort of hop out, we want to high-five everyone in our aviators, and we want confetti to spit out of rooftops and for red carpet to be laid, preferably. Yeah. And, and we've got to understand we aren't there for us and how good are we. The inversion of how good are we is how can I be of service too. So in other words, I'm here to represent my owners, I'm here to represent my agents. Yeah. And when we understand that we are the voice of those two people and it's not about us, it changes the game. So that's the first thing. And I always say to agents, uh, sorry, to auctioneers, excuse me, that when we introduce the auction, we should never say our name first. So it might be Tom Panos from News Limited is our marketing agent. My name is Jason Andrew. Right. But when I see an, a, an auctioneer who's got this wrong, it's my name is Jason Andrew, chest beat out. You know, my name's Jason Andrew. How good am I? Oh, yeah. And here's Tom. Well, hang on. Tom's the one who's been here for four weeks dealing with all of the buyers, dealing with all the sellers, yet you introduce yourself first as the auctioneer. It, it just, it, it, it does my head. So this, I mean, Jason, it's, it's not about, when you think about it, if we go in the order of ranking, it's about the vendor, the vendor's property, then the agent would come after that. Definitely. And then the auctioneer, 
is facilitating the process, a bit of a, like a referee or yeah. a, adding numbers. And what you're saying is that you see one of the things is an auctioneer says, no, no, I'm turning that upside down. This is about me today. It's funny you talk about the referee. I mean, the people, the referee who people hate yeah. is the referee who blows the pee out of their whistle and sort of wants to be more of a spectacle than the game itself. And that's the first quality that I just try and knock out of auctioneers that I train. It's not about us. Yeah. It's about them. The yeah. second we understand that, the better off we're going to be. The other quality... Um, of an auctioneer is, is the question that what I'm looking for or yeah, well, just what, what, what you've noticed the good auctioneers have so one of the things you're telling me is that they're a nice person and they're not ego driven and it's not about them and they realise that they're there to serve people and not to actually just listen to their voice Definitely. Right? so I get that other things the second thing I think is the negotiation aspect right. one of the th- reasons why we are frequently empo- employed is for that negotiation part of it. Uh, We are a third party, emotionally uh, non-biased. So by being that third party, we can bring extra negotiation prowess to the table. One of the things I say quite regularly is, I don't mean this to sound rude, but I get paid regardless of the result today, so I'm not trying to get you up or get you down just for the sake of it. The information that I'm giving you is to give you informed and educated selling or buying decisions. And so the negotiation side of things is exceptionally important. Any auctioneer can add up numbers, but where the deal falls 10, 20, 30, 50 grand short, the best auctioneers can still bring those deals together. Uh, uh, Jason, um, you'll get involved talking to a vendor and buyer once the auction has started or? No question. So once the auction pause, so yeah. once the auction started and if we have to pause it, I'll, I'll, I'll get involved. Do, do, um, do some agents get funny about it? or No, because that's why that's... they employ us. Right. They understand that we, we, we bring that negotiation to the table. Uh, some agents will want to do more of it with me than others, yeah. but all of the auctioneers in our company um, are supreme negotiators. They are good at bringing that deal together when the deal falls short. And that's not tooting our horn, but I think any auctioneer worth their salt needs to understand that, you know, the, the, the calculator can add up numbers. Anyone can add up numbers. But can you bring a deal together that's 10% below reserve with a vendor who's digging their heels in and with a buyer who's being a pain? Can we bring that together? And that's where the, that's where the true mastery is, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, like, I can't help it. As I'm talking to you here today, Jason, I could... We could swap shirts. I could lose 20 years and be younger, but I reckon I would answer... Everything that you've answered, I would answer exactly the way that you've answered it. You know? yeah. And I think the issue is that an auctioneer has got third-party authority, an auctioneer has got detachment, you know, they care, but they're not obsessed about it, and vendors and buyers can smell desperation off an agent a mile away. Definitely. And an, agent, an auctioneer can add value to that. Um, is there, so we've talked about negotiation, we've talked about, you know, uh, uh, less about ego and more about being a good person. Um, what about any other qualities of a good auctioneer? I think the the only other thing that an auctioneer can bring, or, or the third trait that I'm looking for as an auctioneer, is is I think we are a conversationalist, and I think gone are the days of the dictatorial style, yeah. which is 
it is rigid rule enforcing my way or the highway. Yeah. Um, I'll give you $100,000 as an opening offer, Mr Auctioneer. Well, that'll buy the letterbox, champ. Well, people are, are schooled up these days that if you are dismissive towards them, you can get the mob mentality coming at you, you get the crowd offside. How is getting the crowd offside a good thing for our vendor? So corny, so corny uh, smart lines that show that you're fast-witted uh, might, might make you feel good, but it actually annoys everyone. Absolutely. So we are conversationalists and we are there to help people participate. We aren't there to be dismissive or to be dictatorial or one of my favourite ways of explaining certain auctioneers is rigid rule enforcing. Term number one, how difficult is this contract and you must listen to me. Those days are gone. We are simply there as a facilitator and as a conversationalist, and we are here to help you purchase. Jason, do you change? Do you do you change your approach in different markets? Uh, yeah, there are certain markets. Uh, let's look at the commercial sphere yeah. versus the residential sphere. The language, including body language, will definitely change. Yeah. It will go from being, you know, all lifestyle, a little bit more lovey-dovey, if yeah. you explain it that way, to being a little bit more. Uh, dictatorial as such but it it still can't be this is my way or it's the highway and it's the same in geographical locations where I call auctions there are certain people who will be a little bit more hard nosed but if we are aggressive back towards those people aggression towards aggression is no good on anyone right so I can't remember the last time that someone smashed me over with aggression because People don't react that way to the style of auctioneer that, that, that we train. Right. Because we are it's a very palatable style right. that actively encourages people to participate. Okay, that's absolutely um, so important. Again, there's there's so many things here that, you know, prospective auctioneers or agents are listening to, and one of the things is that you will attract um, the hardness and negativity by a person, by the way that you are. Definitely. Um, and I think it's probably the law of attraction or, or whatever it is. But I want to ask you, right now there's like thousands of people watching and out of those thousands, I reckon that there's people saying, I want to be an auctioneer. What advice do you give to someone watching this that wants to be an auctioneer? Is there any tips? Well, what you said to me before is the most important thing. It's the same with auctioneering as what it is with real estate. Um, I can have the most amazing scripts and amazing dialogue as a real estate agent. I can be the best auctioneer in the world with the best zapping lines and I can be clever and crafty and all of those sorts of things. But if I am not a good prospector, yeah, the, the gig's over before we start. Yeah, And so... The model that that I follow and that our crew follow and that any real estate agent or any potential auctioneer needs to understand is it's not just about calling the auction. Yeah. It's about obtaining the auctions. Yeah. You can't get to a thousand auctions a year or to two and a half thousand auctions a year or to six thousand auctions in your career without prospecting and working exceptionally hard. I deal with auctioneers all the time and go, I'll just cop your overflow and I'll hop up on the weekend. No, you won't. Yeah. 
No, you won't. Yeah. Because this is about sitting down, building trust with real estate agents. This is about doing all of these sorts of things. You have to be a brilliant prospector first. So you said it before, hire for attitude, train for skill. Yeah. I don't hire people who are skillful. I hire people who I know will be good prospectors. Yeah. Because the skill follows. The skill is so easy. So potential auctioneers must understand that we aren't just the voice, we aren't just glorified calculators. We need to work hard to obtain the trust, which is the commodity that auctioneers sell. The agent has to trust you. Because let me say this to you, and this is from, from experience, the second that an agent thinks that someone else, as in another auctioneer, can make them more money, they'll use them. Okay. So that's uh, I want to recap, and I've used this line before, every job's got two jobs, the job itself and finding people to do the job for, right? And auctioneering, doctors, real estate agents, no different. Doctor, you treat someone, you actually got to have patience. Auctioneers, you got to, yes, you call auctions, but you need to actually have agents that give you listings. So what you're saying is be prepared to actually do good sales work build trust with people, have a good stay in touch strategy, get on the shopping list. When the temperature's right, they may contact you because they have an unfavourable experience with their current auctioneer, but you're saying that to be a good auctioneer, you've actually got to be a good sales professional as well. That's exactly right. If you're not a good prospector, you're not going to be a good auctioneer because you could be the best auctioneer in the country, but you call no auctions. No one knows about you. No one knows about you. as we finish up this interview, I mean, I could have gone for an hour here because, I, look, I've got, you know, I'm, this is a bit of a training course as well. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting info here. This is very, very useful. Uh, data collection. That's one of the things that a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until we had breakfast in uh, Brisbane that morning when you told me that uh, you collect pieces of data, and that data is useful information that you make available to people um, on a weekly newsletter. Um, can I ask you, what are the three most interesting points of data you've collected that you can share with the audience? I think the, there are, the, the first interesting bit of data that I see is that a vendors, we, we, we track four pieces of information across this area that I'm about to talk about. There's what we call vendors initial expectations, yeah. and then there's what we call vendors current expectations. Yeah. Off the back of that, we also look at the agent's initial expectations and the agent's current expectations. If we throw the agent's current expectations out the door, the first three are really interesting because the vendor will always start sky high. Yeah. Always. And I say to agents all the time, don't have listing arrogance. Just understand that a vendor wants too much. That's, that's their job. But generally, as a rule, what the vendor will do is they will move their expectations down to the agent's initial expectations. Right. So what we've got to be very good at is handling that initial meeting and consultation in terms of price. Yeah. Because what we see a lot of is vendors move down to the, the number that, that the agent pitched at and they move no further. Right. The second bit of interesting information that I see is when a vendor does start to move, there is a direct correlation between the amount of registrations that we see at that auction. Right. So all that suggests to me is that energy and agent's energy lives 
in price reductions. And the closer that we move our vendor to market, the more likely we are to be excited on that piece of stock. And it's what I call the ICSI level, which is an acronym ICSI. It stands for, I can sell it. And when an agent believes they can sell it, they're not dismissive of anyone. Oh, will such and such buy it? Yeah, absolutely, come along. Oh, will 500 grand buy it? Well, let me tell you, I've just seen my owner's expectations, they need it sold. You see, you attract right. what you put out. People will come to you. So as vendors start to move, that's the other really important bit of data that we're collecting. And the only other thing is the direct correlation between price. Re- uh, sorry, between um, offers prior to yeah. and the clearance rates that we see. So what do you see there? So when we have zero offers prior to, we have a 20% clearance rate. When we have one offer prior to, it jumps to 56%. When we have two offers prior to, it goes to 60%. When we have three offers prior to or more, it's in excess of 70%. And so all that says to me is that an offer prior to helps your vendor understand through third-party unbiased information where their property sits in the market. And when the vendor understands, the agent gets excited, as I just explained, and the rest, rest takes care of itself. So offers, get offers. They're get offers prior to, they're imperative. Okay. Uh, Jason, final question. If you were meeting Jason Andrew on your first day of auctioneering, what advice would you give you? Uh, I'd say ditch the ego some, yeah. um, as I've said to you. Stop making it about yourself, make it more about your customer, uh, and that information is power. I would love to roll out the model that we now have back when I, I did because, uh, or, or back when I started because we'd have 6,000 auctions that we could put our data model over and there would be some wonderful tales to tell but unfortunately we wasted so many opportunities and, and whilst we have about 4,000 bits of data to analyse it would have been so much better to have you know 10 years to look at so um, I think the thing that I would say is um, you know I'm, I, I shouldn't just look at this from rock up and call an auction, I should look at this from all of the other additional benefits that I could get off the back of that. Right. Uh, so if I had the chance to jump in the DeLorean, Tom, that's what I'd say. Jason, it's been excellent having you here. We're going to talk to you again uh, in the near future and maybe before you run uh, uh, your annual uh, auctioneer's training program uh, that you run, uh, which is uh, an, an excellent learning experience to shortcut the, uh, uh, the do's and the don'ts of auctioneering. Jason Andrew, thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it.